0: What's up everyone, welcome to another episode of Desolation Radio, it's me, your boy Dan Evans, I'm joined by the boy Nathan Cush, what's up Nath? Good, on tour once again, once and it's, yeah, we've, we've come back down to London. On your dollar. Yeah. <laughs> We're delighted to be joined by the Guardian Economics Editor, Aditya Chakraborty, welcome Aditya. Senior Adichia. Economics Se- Commentator. All oh, right, let's do that again. Senior. No, 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 don't do it again. <laughs> Mr. Yeah, it's aspirational, isn't it? As a
1: useful, useful signal to my to my bosses, yeah. yes, Economics Editor. The economics. yeah Economics Okay.
0: that's what we've been calling you for ages yeah. like. so we're mainly here Aditya to obviously berate you over the fact that about two years ago you recorded us for a Vice documentary <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and, um, and then you filmed us and then you cut us out do you have any idea how many women I told that I was going to be on a Vice documentary Told so do your do you have any idea the damage <laughs> you do <laughs> you know uh,
1: yeah, I still think of that that, that that the filming that we did of you two in your tight t-shirts with your freshly freshly worked muscles, yeah. yeah. And I feel some twinge of regret that we didn't put that. Was it
0: just a twinge of regret or <laughs> something else? Well, we thought it was because like the American audience would be like they wouldn't believe it's the people like that existed. Yeah, these are, are they underground? Horrid, What's horrid, going on? Yeah. So the yeah, yeah thanks then? so much. obviously you've been avoiding us since thank then, thank you, but now <laughs> we're here to yeah, We're we're here at doorstep. thank you so much for having us. We're in very uh, nice, professional uh, nice, for Professional for yeah. So we're going to talk about some of your recent articles on Corbynism and the campaign. So we've got one from the 26th of this month, which was uh, on the doorstep, Labour faces the question, who do you speak 20, for? 26th of this month, the month being November. Just the month being November, yeah. yeah. One yeah. in
1: the room, I like. Yeah. yeah this and is and is then another one
0: from yesterday which was can the radical left win power in the uk the world is watching which is about sort of the gravity of the situation i think we'll start with the (laughs) 28th put in the 20th of november all right so i'll start with the issue on the radical left can the radical left win power i thought it was a really important article because it talks about the urgency of the moment um you know we're clearly at a crossroads you didn't use the phrase but i could sense that you you wanted to say now it we're, we're torn between socialism and barbarism one of the interesting pieces i thought in the article that you say about there's the the centre just don't seem to get the urgency of the moment in terms of the That's climate right. catastrophe, yeah. but also we're in a, the, the Blairite paradigm is not coming back. That mm. just, that is a politics which is impossible, mm. as we can see, which has happened to Macron in France. Mm. Um, I don't know how they still think that if they brought in Owen Smith or Yvette Cooper, they would, they would win, they would get demolished. And then your other article basically sort of implies that Despite the urgency of the situation and despite the radicalism of Corbyn, maybe there are issues getting the message across and mm. perhaps a hint of desperation in the articles. I don't <laughs> know. But in the latest article, you seem to imply that this extremely radical Labour manifesto and the sort of radical potential of Corbynism or Corbynomics. And I previously, I think, in some of your articles, you've written about Wales, about Edmonton, place you've covered in your sort of local mm. roaming economics series for The Guardian. You seem, to imp- you, seem, you, seem, is- you seem to imply that in 2017, the Labour Manifesto wasn't particularly radical. Do you think there's been a, a change between the 2017 Manifesto and the 2019 Manifesto? Do you-
1: I want to I be really clear. The, the radicalism I see in Labour is not necessarily anything I would say associated with their policies or their platforms or even their, their leaders. Uh, the radicalism is basically the people who've gone into Labour over the course of this decade. I've spent this decade, covering the aftermath of the banking crash. That's expressed itself in a variety of ways. If you go to Greece, you see people who were camping out in Syntagma Square outside the Athens Parliament, and for a brief period in the middle of this decade, they were pouring energy into Syriza and into other parties. And we saw what happened to Syriza, an absolute failure, right? In Spain, the Indignados, who camped out in the squares of Madrid and Barcelona, they went into Podemos. Podemos is now basically a stool pigeon for the political system, right? <laughs> Failure. in In Britain, what we saw, and I've seen this really close up, is people who I would have come across in student protests from the start of the decade are now involved in labour in drafting out policy. Um, people who've been involved in housing protests, in in cli- climate uh, um, thinking, they've challenged all that. They've channeled all of their energy into the Corbyn project. So the radicalism is the forces that fed into the Corbyn project. As far as the policies and the platforms um, go, there's definitely a change between 2017 and 2019. Um, The 2017 manifesto, to my mind, was actually a, a, a much more coherent manifesto because it said one thing, end austerity. The 2019 manifesto, to use its own strapline, it says real change is coming. Well, that's a much more ambiguous uh, phrase and not necessarily positive because change can be bad as well as good, right? But real change is coming. What does that mean? And actually, the, the manifesto is a sprawling document which goes everywhere from ending universal credit to trialling out uh, universal basic income. And if I were to have a beef, if I were to entertain one of many beefs with, with, Le- with where Labour are now, I think there's a lack of focus about where they stand. Uh, I think there's a lack of engagement with the real issues which are driving working-age households up and down the country to the wall. Universal credit is a prime one. Um, one of the things that always surprises me is thinking about the the way that Corbyn, almost immediately become, upon becoming leader in 2015, the first thing he says is, let's nationalise the rails. Massive cheer at Labour Party conference. It takes until 2019 for him to say, There's this abomination of universal credit and let's end it. Even if you look over what they're saying about benefit cuts at the moment, um, I think the figure that's been quoted by the the think tanks is they're only going to reverse a quarter of those benefit cuts. Now, we know over the course of this decade, there's been an unprecedented attack upon welfare for working age households. You know, Tories have basically left the pensions alone, given them a fair amount of money, but they've gone after anyone who's got kids, you might be in work or out of work and told them your duty is basically to go into work, even if it's at poverty wages. Labour do offer some stuff in like that, but nowhere near enough. So just to be really clear, there is change. They're more radical. It's not old fashioned social democracy anymore. Yes, they're talking about renationalising things, which is why some of the lazier commentators will say, oh, it's just like the 1970s. But it's not, because they are thinking about how to democratise mm-hmm. those institutions. That That is something that they are...
0: McDonald's leading all that, isn't it? They're he?
1: trying to engage with. Um, how far it's gone, you can judge for yourself. But at least it's a concern in a way that it wouldn't have been in an old-fashioned uh, nationalisation. So the urgency, the moments I see it, is basically a really combustible mix that you have. You've got the, co- the combustibility of British politics, in which we've had a decade since the banking crash. And there are real questions about how far... the British state, the British economy, the British model of capitalism has been reformed since the banking crash. To my mind, not enough. If you're someone who be, who's been hurt by that crash, you may well be asking yourself now whether whether Britain can be reformed, whether, Brit- whether British politics is, is reformable. Crisis after crisis in this country, all the way from banking, through expenses, through WikiLeaks, you know, on and on and on. Each time the edifice of the British state Gets a bit weaker, and each time there is a, a, a lack of response. So there's the combustibility of the moment, personified by that figure of Boris Johnson, who is basically playing an etonian for laughs. Yeah. You know, he's a self-created fictional character who is just realising since he became prime minister, actually he's not going down as well as he used to with the public. And then you've got Corbyn against that uh, on, on the other side. But there's also the combustibility, as I would see it, of the Labour movement. Because you've got all of those characters, all of those people who have poured so much of their energy into what's called the Corbyn project since 2015, have been through one election, are going through another election, for which we could say, you know, without revealing any um, shocks to the audience, the polling does not look great. It's not likely they're going to win absolute power. They might be able at best to stave off the Tories from getting in. Cobble together
0: some sort of anti-Toy coalition. Exactly.
1: That would be a result. A oh, right? huge one. Huge result. But in terms of all the subjects in the manifesto, it just basically reduces it to being a punchline. right? So where do those forces go if that's all you get? Or e- even worse, we get a kind of route, which some people are saying could happen. I, it's not my job here to predict what will happen on December 12th. But just looking at those forces those people who were occupying you know, seminar rooms in 2011, those people who were getting kettled by the police, the people who were getting beaten up in the London riots, the people who were marching for XR earlier this year, mm. what happens to all of them? Well, how does that hold it? Because the only thing holding those various disparate strands together now is the prospect of power. Mm. Power is a massive solvent in politics, right? The biggest single solvent that we have, the glue that holds everything together. And if we don't get power at the end of this election, then what happens?
0: We'll talk about what happens next towards the end, if that's all right. So if I understand you correctly, you think that the the Labour Manifesto is a bit too vague and not tightly focused enough.
1: I think you could. Right. So my memories, (laughs) to reveal my my age here, my memories of of the Blair era, Mm. of that stupid pledge card that you got through the door, right? With the five pledges. Gimmicky, ridiculous, tame.
2: Unlike On, the Milliband tombstone, uh, the tombstone. Yeah.
1: <laughs> On the other hand, how I wish that they had at least tried to focus down what they were offering at this election to something at least approaching five points. They haven't. It's a bit of everything for everyone. Mm. It's an advent calendar of spending promises. Right, every day a new policy comes out with a bit of spending patched. You do hear. I mean, I've for this, for this for my latest bit of reporting, I've been going up and down the country. You hear on the doorstep time after time that people don't quite believe the sums. And they're not fools, right? Why would you believe that suddenly you can magic up 60 billion quid for waspy women? Hmm. Why would you believe believe that? It wasn't in a manifesto last week, so why is it now suddenly in the Sunday papers? Where's the money going to come from? They haven't done a very good job, um, the Labour Party that is, of first of all arguing for some of the policies that that they're now laying out. So they haven't done the groundwork. Renationalising the broadband network and giving everyone free broadband—there was no argument made for that. It was just an assertion: this is what you're going to have, mm. right? In what it remains a very conservative country,
0: so, surely, surely, mm. you think that's a good, a good idea, though?
1: I think it's a good idea for which they've done none of the politics. So it's a great policy with no mm. politics attached. What's the point of that?
0: Is it superfluous as a as a policy?
1: No. I think it does a load of things, which is yeah, be think, good, right? It, it, it starts, a, it, it, it's better than HS2 in my mind.
0: Well, it's a tip. I mean, I think that access to the internet was uh, yeah. an indicator of poverty, wasn't it? Before, right. so So That's people right. think of it as this uh, this fancy thing, but like, actually, in, was it, is it called internet poverty or I don't know what it's called, but like, you know. The digital
1: divide, they yeah. used to call it in my time. Yeah,
0: but the fact that, you know, the, the lack of access to the internet is one of the things of actually is. that is the yeah. problem with universal credit and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, so I we, totally buy all of that. As yeah. I said,
1: good policy but where's the politics? Where's he arguing for it?
0: What, well, as in previously?
1: Yeah.
0: It's just come out of nowhere. Yeah. Mean? Let's just put it in. Well, maybe if you if you have an election coming up and there might be some, I don't know, some drive to just say, well, screw it, let's just put this in as well. While we're at it, you know, because if we could win know, power.
1: You know, as well as I do, that there are lots and lots of places across the country where they've faced the effects of austerity for a decade, right? Yes, in 2017, when Labour said, basically, we're going to end austerity, they didn't need to make an ar- a further argument. Mm. Basically, you know this is shit, we know this is shit, this ends with us. That is a very good argument.
0: So it's about the simplicity of the message. It's,
1: it's both about simplicity of the message and also thinking about where people's lived experiences led them to. If I'm someone who's struggling for money, which people on low wages or on benefits are, how then am I suddenly going to get my mind around the fact that, oh, yeah, we're going to get this broadband, it's going to be free and you're not going to pay for any of it. That's quite a radical thing to be offering.
0: So what, so you think people might potentially be thinking the cost of all this in terms of how it's spun by the media, people might be scared that I'm actually going to get poorer? Or... It's
1: not its not what I'm thinking, it's what I'm hearing.
0: Oh, right, okay. So, yeah, so in your, in this in the... And yeah, you're
1: totally right to, pit, to pin the media on this. Yeah, the media, your, constant, your constantly present distortion machine... Yeah, they they, they are they, they they play absolute havoc with the process of getting policies out to the public, but that is the world you operate in. So why not at least do yourself the favour and making the argument for
0: it? So in your earlier article, mm. um, which is about on the doorstep, mm. you know, Labour faces the question who do you speak for? Mm. It's it suggests that there's still some form of ongoing split between, let's say, like metropolitan labourism, rooted in these, um, you know, and, and driven by children of the banking crash. And maybe Labourism in the regions and you think there's some sort of a difficulty bridging the gap or in maybe the messaging. I mean, is this not like a form of autocracy? you know, like privileging like the doorstep as the as a site of politics and sort of reifying this homogenous idea of like the working class out in like the regions mm. in Derby or mm. in in Yorkshire versus mm. like people in London mm. or is there, is there really that much of a difference? Because I don't I personally don't think that there is a difference in people's lived experiences. It might be, they might have different signifiers, but people who have grown up doing a banking crash Mm. will have struggled as much as someone Mm. in like traditional, Mm. traditional areas. Mm.
1: I think, um, by Joe Kennedy is a really great book. Uh, I would definitely recommend it. Um,
2: would you also recommend him to come on the podcast? <laughs> uh,
1: uh, if you, have you got? Have you not had him on? No, no, no. That's oh, one of our definitely uh... get him on. He's great. I think yeah. he's terrific. He writes brilliantly. No, it. But that's not the argument I'm making. Then. Okay. The argument I'm making is about lack of democracy, hmm. not about a lack of authenticity. The thing that you see really close up in labour policy formation is how tightly concentrated it is remains around the kind of greater Westminster around London. So there's an argument made for a four day week in itself actually fits within a long and honourable tradition of labourism of trying to reduce the number of hours that you work. Marx did that, for heaven's sake. Robert Owen did that. Is this not new? But if you put it all together, the Green New Deal, the four day week, universal basic income, universal basic services, all of that stuff has been germinated within London and then rolled out across the country without asking people on the doorstep or the CLPs, what would you like to see? So we're in a moment in which Labour Party is talking more than ever before about democracy and opening up debate. And yet I see, to my eyes, to my jaded, roomy eyes, I see a very similar kind of policy formations I saw on the Blair, mm. in which ideas had come up with by bright young things in London and then rolled out and given nice taglines and aimed at particular segments and still the voters, whether they're in on the outskirts of London, where I grew up, or they're in Derby, or they're in Bridgend, are still being presented with these policies. That's the issue I've got.
0: I agree, actually. The autocracy stuff that is rolled out time after time, you know, that working class people can't understand these posh Bullets. words and stuff. Bullets. Yeah, this is all this is complete diversion. So I think yeah. I think what you touch on in the articles, is is a far deeper malaise and a crisis of democracy and and Corbynism, for all its strengths, still hasn't really got to to grips with, or mm. doesn't maybe doesn't really understand, mm. and all politics is out of touch, I think. Yeah. So people are you know disengaged, angry, like alienated. So I don't think it's necessarily a metropolitan, no. sort of liberal versus regional divide, or even about, like, the class signifiers. I think, you know, politics, per se, is is so divorced from people's lives, which goes a lot deeper than Corbynism. It's about, you know, media, pacification, you know, capitalist realism, deindustrialization, you know, 30 years of, like, Thatcherite individualism. And we're living, for me, in some sort of, like, dystopia. (laughs) Um, And we feel powerless to do anything about it. So I don't necessarily think corbinism can be blamed i do think corbinism has a problem i'll talk about that in a sec but i don't mm. think corbinism can necessarily blame for not resolving it but these are issues which are so deep rooted in terms of how people are turned off politics and you in your article you talk about the crisis of of non-voting yeah. and that's still the, the actual withdrawal of politics i don't i still from politics rather by the working class still don't think people in this country have have taken on board yeah. how, how significant Seriously, it is, yeah. or how significant the levels of disengagement are. Yeah. You know, we still get people making fun of, like, Amir Khan when he was am a Celebrity Centre, who's, like, who's David Cameron and things yeah. like that, but that's really the tip of the iceberg. People are so disengaged. Politics is just something that happens to you, exactly. you know, it's something mm-hmm. that happens to you. And, and what I thought was key in your article, as well as the fact that people have stopped voting years and years ago, is you look at the former <laughs> Labour candidate that was parachuted in there, was it Engels, was that think. name? Um, An ironic name. Um, (laughs) But, you know, the fact she was a hardcore Blairite, she then took up a role in some, whatever, some right-wing think tank or something after she left. So
1: the the, the contrast is, uh, well, thank you for for your kind comment. Just to pick up what you said, one of the lines I used in the piece was basically, it's one of the unacknowledged truths of Britain today that the people who've had most done to to them by politics are the ones who want least to do with politics. Absolutely. And I totally understand why that should be. North East Derbyshire, which is um, a constituency that gave the world Dennis Skinner, Mm. um, that was part of the Red Wall, uh, that sits in a triangle of seats, the other two of which were once represented by Tony Benn Mm. and Dennis Skinner. And uh, in the case of North East Derbyshire, Harry Barnes, a legendary uh, Labour MP. Now, the thing about North East Derbyshire was that at the last election, 2017, at the height of the Corbyn surge, it decides it's going to go and vote for a Tory MP. For the first time since the 1930s, they've got a Tory MP. Not only have they got a Tory MP, they've got a Tory MP whose auntie was Scargill's secretary, but who he himself co-chairs a think tank funded, housed and operated by the Institute of Economic Affairs, most famous for being Margaret Thatcher's house pets. Mm. So try that on for historical irony, right? You can see what's happened to that seat just by looking at two Labour representatives. Harry Barnes was the son of a Durham miner, went on to work in his early years as a railway clerk, and then went on to become uh, MP for North East Derbyshire for for decades. and described himself as, I think, as a small, bald man (laughs) with false teeth and glasses. Whose jacket never really matched his trousers. That's a bit close to the bone for me. <laughs> yeah, 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 she's Tinder the profile there. <laughs> um, um, he didn't deadlift as much as you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he was replaced in 2005 by Natasha Engels, who was a privately educated Kent woman who was para- who parachute dropped by Gordon Brown into the constituency, and who, as soon as she was booted out by her own voters, Went on to become a consultant for Ineos, mm. the fracking mm. firm which wants to frack in North East Derbyshire. Well, should just give them ten million? Yeah. No. Well, no. no. oh, well, the Welsh government <laughs> always lives down to expectations. Um, and then, and then, went on to become Theresa May's fracking czar. Oh, right. In itself, there you have yeah. all of the thing about taking voters for granted, taking them for fools, about that the whole machinery of politics has been top down yeah. rather than bought up. One of the paradoxes of Corbynism is it was meant to be the bottom-up moment, the, the movement that would actually listen to people and would become a social movement. Another one of the many beefs I have with the Labour Party is that you've got a Labour leadership that talks about social movements. Well, I never see them actually doing social movements where, where they set up, right? I never see them now getting involved, or very rarely getting involved in housing protests, getting involved in welfare rights advice. You know, if they want to reopen a kind of means of communication with their voters rather than having someone who just says talks about the white working class and about legitimate concerns and all these other various forms of head patting that they do with working class voters rather than actually engaging with them rather than that why not have your clp say we're going to bring in a welfare rights advisor so we're not asking you for to join us up and join up with us immediately We want to give you right we want to tell you about your rights on welfare, come to us with concerns, come to us if you've got problems with your housing. We want to procure for you uh, good deals on on electricity and gas. We wanna make ourselves useful to Mm. you once again. What has party politics become? And I think you know this, Dan. It's become, especially at election time, it's become a game of someone of a cluster of people taking the streets, knocking doors, working out who used to vote Labour. Yeah, working out if they're going to vote Labour in the future and returning information to the person who stands in the middle with a clipboard. Yeah. In other words, it's purely about data harvesting. Of course, it is. Right. So where is the social movement in that?
0: No, there isn't. And this is something that happens every four years. I will get on to that because you know, from South Wales, I've got huge problems with this top-down. You see, uh, no, I you think, think it, it is. I think, I think there, it is right? a top. I think it is a top-down movement. But I guess what I'm saying is, as someone who I, I do like Corbyn a lot, yeah, I think same, I've been critical same. of him, but. I obviously want him to win. Yeah. What I would argue sociologically is that some of the criticism he gets is I don't think something that any one man or any movement could, Absolutely so, right. could have Not addressed. Not his creation, the, his inheritance. Be, because totally these agree. issues are so deep-rooted and, and, totally and, and societal, for want of a better word. That but
1: has he even started to make any progress? No.
0: It? And the issue, other issue I wanted to talk about was the other massive issue. I think Tom Blackburn <laughs> of The New Socialist has written about it. I mean... They still, they still haven't. I mean, let alone a social movement. They still haven't built their own alternative sort of labour apparatuses or institutions. There's no, there's no alternative institutions. And if you think about the labour movement that you talk about, well, the high Barnes grew up in, or mm. that South Wales mm. or potentially gave to the world, that was rooted on in the trade union movement, which was rooted in uh, working class institutions mm. and spaces, libraries, sports clubs, education, uh, education yeah. and all these absolutely completely crucial to sustaining this alternative like power structure and they've all completely gone, but they've gone years ago, they've gone like yeah. 20, 30 years ago yeah. and you know and people like Natasha Engels did nothing to sort of try to save it or to try to build a new culture, they were ha- absolutely happy with the working class not voting, they were mm. happy with the working class being destroyed mm. because what did Mandelson say, they had nowhere else to go so mm. I mean I mean, Tom Blackburn says that you know, that one of the big problems of Corbynism is that it hasn't gone about really becoming a social movement hasn't gone about uh, building its own radical institutions because that's what should have happened given that the bounce in 2017 2017 should have been like the start of something right huge it should have been like okay now we're going to build a social movement now we're going to start building our own institutions and i know to an extent there has been an alternative media apparatus built up like Navarra and 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 so on which are great but there's it's desolation radio yeah (laughs) Well, well, part I of our, no, i don't think no, we're, we're really our part, our are part of, of that.
1: Are you part of the left ecology? Of I don't meeting? know. I don't uh, think we are. Um, I, I, I wouldn't like to be but, so. but I mean, there's—but they have—but
0: <laughs> when you when you consider the the scale of the, the the problems, Corbynism is not getting close to sort of solving that. So I think oh, even it's if, an but, impossible task. Mm. I totally and I think—and I think either. even if Corbynism yeah. snuck over the line this time, it would not be a fluke. But it would be—it would still be patching up it would still be sort of obscuring the wider like the deeper issues and then it would hopefully go about solving those when in power but as it stands I I, I don't think that's well I hope it will happen but I don't think it is but having said that I do agree with a lot of what you said so I do think Corbynism does have a huge problem in that what should have happened in 2017 it should have become they should have built their own radical institutions it should have become a working class led movement rooted in working class communities instead what happened it sort of descended into celebrity led London based movement led in the main by well-meaning people who are, who are basically liberals and social democrats. So I don't think it's about rhetoric. I don't think it's about, you know, they they speak in a way that doesn't resonate with no, people. I, agree. I think they don't necessarily understand the depth of the resentment and the yeah. alienation and yeah. the levels of anger. Yeah. And as you said, even though they don't realise it, what they are doing is replicating a form of top-down politics. Just
1: with more well-meaning people. Yeah, so people yeah, in South yeah. Wales...
0: Um, you get them sent, sent we, well, to well, your constituency all, saying yeah, you well, need to work... Uh, vote for these sh- people who are making your life shit, Yeah, so I always say to people, do you not see how this looks? I mean, do you not see how it looks if you send someone like Eddie Izzard or even you met know, well-meaning people like Owen Jones come into South Wales to tell very people every, good a
1: very good colleague of mine.
0: No, yeah, but, and the thing is, I think Owen Jones is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, but dance winking, but 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 no, but if you don't understand what it looks <laughs> that's like, not we do, But if you, know. you don't, but if you don't understand what it looks like to come into somewhere as deprived as South Wales totally. and actually say yeah. every four years and say, yeah. "Oh, vote for this person," well, Welsh Labour have been administering austerity yes. in South Wales, they've you know they've been the architects <laughs> of it. They've been, and it really really winds me up because it's like you just feel. <laughs> Like voting for you, you just feel not othered, but you just feel well. <coughs> come on, you don't care about us because you're not. You're never here. Yeah. So, so let me just build upon that, right?
2: Wales so is you... shows a lot by the London left. <laughs> well, no, no, hang
1: on. I, I think I think they do that. That mode of campaigning that Dan's just been talking about, they do across the country. These yeah, un- they do un- do it across the un- country. These un- yeah. events. It's not about. They well, do it's not about as well, right? Yeah. And it's purely about mobilising yeah. hu- you know hundreds of people mm. if you're lucky to turn up.
0: Every four years.
1: Every four years. Yeah. Knock on your door, yeah. ask who you voted for, and then you never see these people again. Exactly. Mm. Of course you never see them, because ne- they don't even live in your constituency. Yeah. They've gone, right? Exactly, yeah. Right? They've, 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 they've done their bit of...
2: Maybe you see them two years on They've, done, MP, their, they've like. done their yeah.
1: bit, they've taken their selfies, and they're, they're out, yeah.
2: right?
1: How is that a good means of political engagement? It's not. But that is one of the signature bits of political Absolutely. engagement under the Corbyn Labour Party, yeah. right? So, that so That's is what, what momentum
0: what... has kind of descended into. Right.
1: And that wasn't what it was meant to be about.
0: So it's now like an army of election foot soldiers that goes right. around, yeah? Whereas it should have become this big A thing where yeah. we
1: actually went out and we said, Okay, what are the real issues here as, as they're perceived? You know, to what extent can we engage with people here and their problems? To what extent can we be useful? The sort of stuff that I was talking about earlier, providing welfare advice, what what is that really? That's about actually becoming another kind of citizens' advice bureau, yeah, right? Big yeah. right? shout sure, a, a really good yeah. institution which has been somewhat new and definitely cut back under austerity, yeah. right? That is a genuine. That would be a genuine institution that you could build that would serve a purpose and that would get people to think about the Labour Party and politics in a different way.
0: Politics in this country is so constrained, and the Labour movement has always been constrained by their parliamentarism. You know, there's there's this like they're so obsessed with Westminster. The idea of doing like a direct action and stuff, I yeah. think, would be so. Ah. alien to people, but yeah, you're absolutely right. That would have been stuff like that is is incredibly useful because ah. institutions like CAB have been cut to the bone. Yeah. Like shelter can't take on cases and yeah. things like that. But related to this, this top down thing, mm. and I don't know if you you've picked this up on mm. on like the the mythical, doors the mythical there. Door Um But is is Brexit? And for me, I mean, we obviously had disagreements about it because I'm I'm sort of pro lexit but they seem to have forced the pivot to remain. I think I know that they've finally settled on a coherent a coherent ish message now of a Labour deal or Remain, right? And people were saying, like, Corbyn doesn't work on the doorstep. But for me, I think that, let's say, Labour canvassers who who are anti-Corbyn say, Corbyn doesn't work on the doorstep. What they'll omit from that is that I guarantee the first thing people will will talk about is Brexit in many places. And I think that's rooted in class politics. And I think whether or not you agree with Brexit or not, I think it's all related to this top-down movement because whatever you think you're doing, it comes off you are coming into people's communities and telling them, we're going to empower you as the Labour Party. However, the first vote that you've
2: <laughs> in, <laughs> in which you've participated
0: for ages and in which you've helped sway the result, we are going to overturn. And I think a lot of people just cannot perceive how that comes across. However you spin it, it comes across as being told that you don't matter. And you can argue about you know, this. Isn't even about what's going to happen with Brexit. I just find, in my experience, it's almost impossible for a lot of people to put themselves in the shoes. Should I give you counter to that? Yes, absolutely. Not if friend of mine's my point. Like so, it, it, would, would, it would totally detonate your <laughs> point, your point. Yeah.
1: First of all, I don't think the argument is about Labour's position now. Really, it's about the, the fundamental problem that Labour's had is that it's treated Brexit as a tactical issue, yeah, rather than a strategic issue. So, it's worried about how not to blow apart its electoral coalition, which is a serious Mm -hmm. concern. And I've always thought that. And uh, it should have been prepared for this moment of crisis from a long time ago. It should have been able to, to get rid of constructive ambiguity before Christmas last year. It did not, right? That's a major thing. Instead of which, it's pulled, it's pushed, it's gone forward, it's inched back. Um, and it, it looks shifty. And that's one of the things that you, yeah. you do here, right? People aren't quite clear. Actually, the policy itself, as I see it, it's not bad.
0: No, it's not
1: that bad. It, it, have a second vote. If you're going to have a compromise, it's not a bad compromise to have. But the second thing I would say, and this is something I really do pick up, not on the doorstep, actually, in, in other conversations that I've, I've, I've had. As you know, I write a lot about austerity. Mm. And a few weeks ago, I went to Colchester in Essex which is not typically thought of as a poor part of, of the world, but, but has got pockets of quite deep poverty. And I went there to cover these half-term food clubs that were run by one woman off, subscri- off donations, right? And it, it's basically an old sc- scout hut she took over for one lunchtime to provide kids and their parents, crucially, because it's always the parents you go without to so yeah. keep mm-hmm. their kids fed, to keep, keep families fed over half-term, right? A really big service to be providing interesting there was a uh, there were a couple of labor people in there helping out mm. which is good to see uh, so we're talking we're, we're sitting there talking and they're obviously thinking about this election and uh, you talk to people about uh, the election they get onto brexit now they start giving me their views about brexit and why they voted out and basically their argument was well we can't keep giving money to the rest of Europe when we're so poor here. Look at look at us here. We're having to rely on charity to keep us and our families fed. To which my obvious retort is, do you honestly th- honestly think that Boris Johnson or Jacob rees morgan are going to make sure that money gets to you here? And they say no. When I went to I, I had this uh, trip to South Wales in 2016. I think when I first met yeah. you guys. Uh, In which uh, I spent a bit of time driving around uh, the valleys and I went into uh, a miners institute, which had been basically left derelict for years. And as you pulled up to it, you could see it was all restored and there were these Brussels blue badges Mm. in the windows because the money that had come to restore it had all come from Europe. You went inside and now I, I won't. Forget this guy in a hurry. This kind of barrel-chested guy, shaven-headed, called Gareth. Don't look at that. Look at that. Uh, um, but he's 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 obviously not that used to journalists busting through his door, and nor is he used to talking to Asian guys. Mm. Uh, you know what those areas are like. They're very white, and he, he was voting out. And it was as soon as I asked him out. And I asked him why. And he starts talking about immigration. I said, mate, there are no immigrants here. And he goes, oh, there was a Chinese takeaway over the road. Like, right. OK. Um, but then as you get on to talking to him about why he's voting out, he goes, well, we don't own anything in this country anymore. They've sold it all off. Which is true. Which is absolutely right. Mm-hmm. So I say, so where do you think Brexit's going to help you get any of that back? And he goes, it's not. It's too late. It's fucked, isn't it? I can keep on giving examples of this, right? Now, what what is going on there? One, Brexit is acting as the ultimate proxy yeah. of a whole bunch of frustrations, Absolutely, right? Yeah. Two, every time I talk about these frustrations with people... So, if you basically hang out, where I disagree with a lot of my colleagues is, if you want to win over the Labour League vote or whatever the current yeah, yeah, uh, comment yeah. piece de jure the is, the white working class. Right, whatever it is, mm. they'll all oh, Brexit, you've got to have a Brexit. Yeah. It's not... Fundamentally, about Bre- no, Brexit that, is only a wrapper around. It's, a, whole- it's
0: a symptom. Brexit is right. a symptom.
1: Brexit is a symptom of a much deeper set of problems. The second thing that that comes wrapped up in that is the people you talk to know somewhere that those problems are not going to be dealt with. They know that they have a government which will not, which will do fuck all for them and their absolutely. problems, and they have voted for it anyway. That it strikes me is the problem what your offer is on brexit or whatever your retail politics is on on on, on the eu i couldn't honestly give a toss about
2: okay yeah but i th- John, i no sorry i was, sorry. I was oh. going to say in terms of you saying that like their lives won't be made any better but isn't it part of it just inflicting like the suffering on like a wealthy part of britain i like, don't even think it's that oops. no I, mean I, it's
1: I, don't, term- I don't i honestly, honestly nathan i've thought about this a lot right i in 2016 i thought maybe it's simply about just
2: A big fuck you to London, like. Oh no,
1: more. um, I think more, more points than that. I think Brexit, the Brexit referendum, and the people who saw it coming, the people who didn't, is basically there was a divide between and 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 people say this all the time now. Or Brexit was about a binary divide between young and old, university educated towns and cities. Actually, no. Brexit referendum was a binary divide between people who are about to get a slap and those who are about to slap them. That's Mm. what I used to think, right? What I notice now, and you see it, you see it over and over again wherever you go in the country, people know that Boris Johnson's in charge and he's gonna be fine. Jacob Reese is sitting mm. behind him, he's gonna be fine. All those guys are fine. Yeah. The ones who voted for Brexit in those classic leave areas mm. is that you like to, that you see in Vox Pops on telly, yeah. they know that they base scenarios, they are fucked still, yeah. right? That is a level of nihilism that you're dealing with. Yeah, it's a,
0: it's yeah. anger and and, and justified rage, just absolute, anger. Yeah, but and then if,
2: if those uh, uh, areas voted yes, then it's essentially for them to. I'm not saying Brexit has like been like a logical position for anyone. No, but it's, it's, it's just change. Li- it's just literally, it's something you can have control of politically except, in an election. Except
1: as we know, the amount of arguing you then need to do once you've got past the withdrawal agreement into what trade deals you do. I don't. I, I don't think I, any
2: of them thought that
1: far right, or care right, that but far. But you don't have a con- you don't have control over any of that process, right? No. So if the argument is basically, I just want out of this, mm. and this is defined by their own personal circumstances, then that's the thing that you ought to be going to argue with. Where I think Corbyn had it right all along, and this is one of the things on which he, he was very well sussed, was say this the, from twenty six on. 16 on he said this was never an argument about the EU it's always about yeah, the, the way we live here correct yeah, yes. right? what the political class has then spent the next three years doing is not thinking about the way we live here especially absolutely. the government right especially the government of Theresa May or Boris Johnson as long as that remains the case you are never going to get to a satisfactory conclusion on Brexit wherever you are because Brexit is a vague mm. tea loss yeah. it's always it's always a destination that lies further down the road right the glorious the glorious results from it will always be further down the road. You will never satisfy people. In the meantime, and this is where I do disagree with you and your Lexit Brigade, Dan.
0: In the meantime... <laughs> the brigade sounds pretty organised. Who will... It's not. Uh, Who will... Who
1: will end up paying the price for the dissatisfactions that come from Brexit? Because if I can... Without wishing to put too fine a point on it, no. it will not be people like you. Hmm. It will be the mum in a headscarf yeah. pushing her kids on, you know, taking up one of the pram spaces in the bus. It will be the the disabled person in a wheelchair who can't get on the tube. It'll be the Polish man who walks into the wrong kebab shop in a market town after midnight. That's those are people who ultimately pay the price for all of this mess, right?
0: If it is in fact this it's already a right, happening, a right, a right, right? Wing. Then we're
1: already seeing a race hate the race hate spike. I never understand the delusional the delusions of the Lexitors because all Lexit ever all I have thought in twenty sixteen was all these people asking for Lexit in 20, in summer twenty sixteen? Can't wait to introduce you to Boris Johnson. I wrote as much at the time. Well, what's happened?
0: Well, the Lexit argument is basically that. Well, I would say someone has come to Lexit as a Democrat. That is my take on it. I didn't get to vote, but I would have said I. I you didn't I did, get to vote. No, I was in France, ironically, um, for the Euros, but I didn't. <laughs> He's think, in Brussels. But I didn't. <laughs> exactly. But I didn't. I, 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 I didn't think it was a good idea, and I was upset at the time. But for me, the so let, if you go back and the structural malaise that has. There's decimated you know, working-class areas across yeah. the UK. We talked about that That even Corbynism can't... Well, we don't think is going to solve or right. speak... Or, it hasn't really managed to speak to yet. That sort of stuff is, for me, ultimately... The, those are the sort of structural conditions that have ultimately driven the anger that has driven Brexit. Yeah, mass disengagement from politics. Correct. Um, huge disillusionment with the political class. Just by. Um, Being
1: so, screwed over yeah, year after year. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely yeah.
0: consistently. And yeah. also, as you've written about... The privatization of everyday life. Yeah. So, like, you, you can't, you can't do anything because everything's been outsourced to private companies. You can't speak to anyone on the phone. Yeah. Universal credit. Yeah. Yeah. If you go on government websites, everything's been provided yeah. by private. You know, it's it's hellish. We yeah. you know, we we really live in. in There's upset. no accountability no, in public or it, it, private it's sector. It's awful. Right. So, but for me, much as I didn't want Brexit at the time, the I oh, you're hate, backing away from no, but I hate I, to the, I hate mm. To mm. To use the optics. Of, oh, I, I, I never the, was Claire Fox. I, was. I, <laughs> I hate to use the optics. but the actual... How it looks oh, yeah. to actually over, to overturn right t- t- over t- oh, yeah. <laughs> how it looks to actually overturn that vote for me is actually would be worse because you're you're telling you'd be telling people who are, who are pissed off well basically democr- you know once and for all if for one so, word, that the, the, the democracy doesn't work and we don't care so about given, you given that for right, me that's a gift for the far right, right forever
1: right I so absolutely that's I absolutely agree with you on the democratic point which is why personally I wasn't for remain. Uh, after the 2016 vote, mm. until Christmas 2018. You have to give it time to get through, but then it becomes pretty clear that it's not going to get through, right? So what you can do, parliamentary d- democracy is then deadlocked. It remains deadlocked. That's oh, so yes. why we have an election now, right? One of the reasons. But if your argument then is that you would rather have the hard right, as as dressed up in pinstripes, taking you out of out of the EU, as opposed to dealing with the far right in the streets... I don't know. I don't know. There's that much of a choice between them.
0: But because... the argument would obviously be, you know, we don't think that's going to happen, so we would argue for a Corbyn government outside Europe. That would be the the thing you fight but for. And how
1: how do you how does anyone who's even casually observed British history over the past thirty years think, oh yeah, that's what's going to happen? We're going to get a radical, a transformative government that's going to take us out of the EU, do all this spending, and there'll be no repercuss- political or economic repercussions for any of this. That has not been my experience of living in this country. But
0: when you talk about you know the Remain argument and the EU I mean and I know you don't do this but a lot of people fetishise the EU one of the things that has bugged me so much about when people write about Wales or when they write about Sunderland and things like oh, that look how much
1: money people get from yeah, they, yeah, because, yeah. but, but, yeah, yeah, but, but what that, yeah.
0: that argument is basically saying even though the people who write it don't know they're saying it is like this area is dependent yes. this area yeah. is absolutely helpless it's dependent Supp- on it's dependent yeah. on footloose foreign capital Completely. normally from the EU yeah um you know, are you stupid because yeah. the EU is not going to be there? Well, that is not, I'm afraid, an argument for Complete the status quo well, within the EU. That's yeah. that's basically showing how, how certain areas right. function as pools of cheap labour within yeah. the European yeah. bloc, right? Yeah. So people, people do argue that this is like some form of... You, you get ostensible leftists almost arguing that, you know, foreign direct investment's amazing. Oh, you're going to lose all these jobs, you know, and you're going to, you know, you're going to lose... Big capital is going to pull out of your area and, like, arguing for the rights of, like, foreign multinationals to, like, move labour and and money around the block and and, and abandon people at a moment's notice. I mean, the thing is, Ford are always going to leave when they suck the profit out of it. You know, Airbus are always going to leave Broughton once they've sucked the profit out of it. And and Nissan are always going to leave Sunderland.
1: totally right, Dan. But the counter-argument, and Wales is a great place to go and see it, is that actually what replaces that in a Brexit settlement is something worse in that you get even bigger bribes. So your your colleague, Mark Hooper, yeah. uh, refers to it as the Welsh dowry. that the yeah, that's, government a, that's pays a great out, way right, yeah. To, to any visiting business that, that looks even half interested in investing oh, in Oh, absolutely. Place, right?
0: Well, like INEOS. Mm.
1: So what is your perfect post-Brexit settlement if you're the Welsh government? Get INEOS in.
0: Well, yeah, and that's what they're doing. Right. And, you know, and, and, and I think INEOS, and I think Mark has said this as well, I think INEOS... Know how desperate the Welsh government is now, and they're probably going to use that as a way to try to chip away at the ban on fracking in Wales and right. try to overturn it. But my point is, you need a you, you know, Remain isn't great either. You know, you need a, a complete reset of the economic paradigm. But is that
1: going to happen under Boris Johnson government?
0: No, it isn't. But I mean, it, but it wouldn't have, it wouldn't happen with Remain either. Well, it, we were miserable under Remain. We didn't have any jobs under under the EU, and we're not going to have any jobs now. So I can see why people. This is they're investing their hands. But, rega- but regardless of. Not it's not superfluous because obviously it's a huge issue. But in terms of your article about <laughs> whether or not Corbyn's well, we gonna, whether or not Corbin's going to win, oh, right, right. well, you can listen to our previous episodes on Lexit with, with <laughs> Rob <laughs> Griffiths if you want to um, um, a more coherent position on Lexit than mine. But
1: that was very nice. The but Paris I, Correspondence view on Brexit was very good, I thought.
0: But I think that the it's about how it looks. It's about how it's a it's about this massive anger that working class people have and. For me, it's the idea of.
1: But what I was saying, I suppose, that is that I think the anger is disparate and diffuse, and is aimed at a variety of targets for a very good reason. Yeah. So, if you would start dealing with some of the other sources about targets of anger, maybe, maybe Brexit would be less salient as an issue.
0: Yeah, and I think so. And I mean, I don't see why he doesn't go a bit dirtier with Johnson, for example, a bit more negative against the Conservative I totally because, don't see that. because I think that there's in places like Wales and Derbyshire there is some sort of almost like a muscle memory, yeah. where, you know what, I hate these people. I mean, yeah. I'm I, I i mean, I'm sure we all do. It's yeah. just I, I despise them. And if you can tap into that, then you should, the, the Labour vote could potentially hold up. Going back to this issue, the children of the banking crash. Mm. So the children of the bank crash have been impacted, obviously, by austerity. But they have also written this manifesto in a way, haven't they?
1: They've, they've definitely been hugely huge on it, yeah.
0: So does that mean then that there is some sort of a difference between their experience of... The economy, even which is which is definitely shit, Mm. and other people's experience of the economy, which is shit, so they shit, are they shit in different ways? No,
1: I think that's a, I think that's a great question, and it gets to the nub of something I wanted to write but didn't, didn't, just didn't have space to put in. Essentially, the life of someone who's graduated from university is now working in shit jobs, and can't afford a house. Me, (laughs) and. Basically, had more expectations, yeah, and they've now just turned to dust in front of them, and they've got all the debt to show for it. Their life, their working life, their economic life is not so far from someone who is in an area where there are very low value jobs and they have to work to. Contracts a week to get by, or they have to do a job and get some universal credit top up, or whatever.
0: I think actually a lot of people will have moved. You know, people will have moved from a shit situation in a small regional town to, to go to university yeah. and better themselves. And then they have to move to like some some a regional hub, London, Manchester, yeah. to do a similarly a job at shit in a different yeah. way. So yeah. like a, a white collar course, the white collar working class at call center, call center work, yeah. or or in what's it called. Recruitment. Everyone seems to work in recruitment. I don't know. Still don't know what it is really. But um, but they they are shit in a different way.
1: So I think they're culturally that that they may seem different in economic terms. There's far more between them than meets the eye, Um, and certainly is given credence by most kind of popular presentations of, of of those different groups. What's really interesting is I don't understand why. There isn't a political language which finds a way to unify those interests, which doesn't say actually...
0: Class politics. <laughs>
1: you're in the same class, effectively, whether yeah. you like it or not, as in, as, as that person who's in a provincial town where the only jobs going are warehousing and care work. All right, you might do call centres, they might do care, but actually you're in a fairly similar situation.
0: Because in your article, you, you know, when you talk about people of colour campaigning in London... Mm. They are obviously they're working class people as mm. well who've mm. been affected, and they're very pro Corbyn. They've got a different way of uh, campaigning with this, like bus and things like that, which is great, uh, which is fantastic. Mm. But as you said, why is there then this some sort of a gulf between?
1: I think I think it does come down to that word that you just used, class, right? In that class politics becomes increasingly hard to perceive from subjective end when you live in an Uber economy, when we all work off these platforms and we're not in a collective uh workplace let alone a collective workplace organisation it becomes very difficult to perceive how you've got com- common interests but it's it's a, so it's a fractured class and yet the experiences are often very very similar so housing would be an obvious point of similarity between people of that income of that uh of that uh working experience I'm interested in why there isn't more made of
0: that. I mean, but the, the commitment to build however many council houses, is it a million council houses. Mm-hmm. I mean, surely it's that's a good a, one. surely that's something that should be able to cut through for both these. I mean, if you're saying this, we, we know that these people, let's say North Derbyshire and mm-hmm. and, and someone in Edmonton or whatever. Mm-hmm. Obviously, these experiences, Ed, actually very, very yeah very, very these experiences example. are identical lived yeah. experiences. They might have different class signifiers or housing cost or maybe whatever. In one place but another. yeah. There should be, you know, class politics should be able to cut through, it. right?
1: So th- that 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 is a really interesting the, the the council house building proposal is a really interesting one because you would think that there's a way of presenting it which says wherever you are, housing is one of the number one issues Absolutely. that you deal with, and we are going to make sure that everyone who's in housing need gets that, you know, has that dealt with. Instead of which, what you get is, oh, we're going to churn out a million council homes. Is that not bad, though? Is that not it, it? It's a fine policy. Again, where's the politics in that? Where's the means of saying, whether you live in mm. northeast Derbyshire or you live on the outskirts of North East London, you're actually in the same boat. And our policy is about making sure that you're going to be looked after. It's all right.
0: So you think it's a messaging that's down? It's not just a down. messaging.
1: It's also a prioritisation. Um... Labour have got really good... I mean, to give them their, their due, Labour have got really good proposals on wages, mm. on collective, uh, on um, trade, better trade union organisation. Uh, they have ended up in the right sort of place on universal credit. They should be doing more on welfare, right? But these things are not given the same emphasis as the nationalisations, as all of that other stuff. Personally, I think if you were just to deal with let's end austerity and let's make sure there are certain universal things in this country that everyone will be guaranteed and leave aside the question of ownership which i don't think would be should be front and center um for a government that might not be in for that long and for a government which will have enough else on its plate to worry about what would be wrong with that
0: i mean the small point about nationalization is obviously the issue of conversation and mcdonald's sort of dodged it recently we don't know if what the plan is for compensating people like Virgin? All and of that stuff, stuff like that. Is, going take, is going to take. Oh yeah, age, right? it's mm. going to take ages. And I, it might I, be I tell you what,
1: actually, I, I've got a, I've got a much more eloquent uh, version of the same argument, but it's not for me, right? After 2017 election, I met a, a, a Labour front bencher uh, a real believer in the Corbyn project, right? Uh, represented a constituency I know well, and Tom Watson, and I said, <laughs> I said, I said to to, to them. I said, um, so it's what are you up to at the moment? And they went, oh, yeah, we're looking at the manifesto, right? So remember, they, they'd actually run pretty close. They are mm-hmm. doing well. It looked over that summer as though any Theresa May government might not hold together for mm-hmm. that long, right? We're just trying to work out what we'd do if we were in government. And actually, we're looking at the manifesto and we, we're working out that uh, we might not be able to do a load of it because actually it's not feasible. Okay, that's one thing. So bear in mind, even the 2017 manifesto, which was less ambitious than this one, they were already thinking in that summer that they wouldn't be able to do a, 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 a chunk of it. Second thing, I said, what I don't get, I don't get, is why you're putting so much emphasis upon ending private finance initiatives, which I think is a perfectly fine thing, but you've done barely anything on welfare, which I think is probably one of the most pressing issues in the country. And the MP said to me, "Yeah." I totally agree with you. My kids' students don't really care about PFI's and the rest of it. They certainly don't care about every night. What they primarily care about is that they've got shit lives and someone should do something about it.
0: Absolutely.
1: I thought that was a perfectly fine thing to, to hold on to as a, as a motto. If people have shit lives, they shouldn't have shit lives. Let's make their lives better, right? And let's get them involved in making their own lives better as much as we can, right? Absolutely. Why not take that front and centre... Of your policy platform, keep it there. Build everything else around
0: it. It should be. I mean, the thing that bugs me so much is that you know, life is incredibly hard in this country, and you're not free. No one's free because the basic things like you know, you can't get a job that pays. Mm. You can't get a roof over your head. You have to Mm. pay all your money to to, towards rent. Yeah. You know, you can't can't get on the bus or the train because they're ridiculously expensive. expensive. You can't see a doctor if you need to see a doctor. Life is incredibly hard yeah. and it's brutal, and it means that incredibly talented, creative people don't get a chance to do anything with exactly. their lives. They just live hands to mouth and, and work horrific work contracts where they can be let go every week. And actually, the only person that really captures that at the moment is Barney Farmer, the Viz cartoonist, mm-hmm. with his constant uh, the, the panels, which you should check out, are amazing about you know people on working zero hours contracts and stuff like that. But that, yeah, somehow... I think in twenty seventeen that message was a bit stronger than it is now. Yeah. I definitely wouldn't do away with the stuff on PFI because it has to no. be. But what, just put it in the background and focus on
1: Listen, you're you're you whatever you think about electoral prospects of success, I think it's fairly fair to assume that for next period we're gonna go through a period of volatility. Oh, absolutely. Right? And you've got Brexit sorted out and then you've got all the various things trying to hold together coalitions. Why not focus down to five things that you're going to make a priority? Yeah, have it in a manifesto, but why not actually just focus down five things and work out who it is you're trying to defend?
0: Well, what I was always... I mean, I sort of thought the Corbyn government... I mean, I I still don't think that the, the left, especially a new generation of activists, I don't really think they understand necessarily, like, the state and the strength of the forces that are, like, arraigned against them and how difficult it's going to be. I know it's a good laugh and stuff when people keep saying like nationalisation without compensation <laughs> we're going to nationalise this and stuff but you, you look at the athlete government and, and what they actually they had a far far stronger base and mandate for sort of socialism they had a huge trade union movement mm-hmm. behind them and they were crippled by the amount of money they had to pay out in terms of compensation and they and were stuff. rebuilding as well wasn't it yeah and they so were like, rebuilding you know, but I mean but I always thought that you know as you said that the Corbyn government now if it gets in is going to probably creep over the line. It's never going to win an absolute majority. It's going to be some form of coalition. Mm. So you've got to be looking at what tangible gains can you make mm. in the short term that's mm. going to make people's shit lives better. Exactly. Housing is going to be a huge one because yeah. things like rent caps, uh, mass building accounts, houses, obviously it's going to have a hugely positive knock on the private rent sector because it's going to lessen demand. So landlords mm. haven't got the yeah. world by the, the by the balls anymore. But okay, maybe that's not so simple. Coming now into the final stage as what happens next. Whether Corbynism is the end or beginning, or well, that's something that I hadn't thought about because I'd always assumed that this was the last hurrah of the British mm-hmm. Labour movement, as someone who's a lifelong... Labour hater or sceptic from a, a far-left perspective, you know. Um, <laughs> okay. But I, I've always thought that, you know... That's an
1: honourable tradition which has but, gone to uh, ground for the last five years. Yeah, minutes. but I always yeah. think, you know, <laughs> you
0: know, past sacrification has, has hit all the Social Democratic parties mm. in Europe. It's now, as you said, even hitting the, the parties and moving like Podemos yeah. and C- Syriza, the ones that yeah. replaced the they original ones. So well. they've been co-opted and, yeah. and ruined yeah. as well. Yeah. And, that's, and, and still people don't really understand the constraints of like uh. Uh, sort of parliamentary or, or, or whatever power politics State in the power, way. Yeah. State power. Mm. Um so I had always assumed that because Corbinism had breathed life into the, the Labour Party, this was like once Corbin goes and dies, that's it. But as you Do you mean Corbinism or Corbyn? Uh, it well both. <laughs> but you know, but um but as you say, you? it's now absorbed so many <clears> young <throat> radicals into it who've put it all on the line for Corbynism. Uh. So the issue is now what happens next. So I always had assumed it would be better for the Labour Party to die, and for something new to grow out of it. And that was always the perspective of John Savile and like the New Left in the sixties, because yeah. it was like, well, once Labour dies, you can say, right, finally, this is definitely, definitively not a vehicle for socialist transformation. Let's just move on. But then what happens? Then you create like a, a bridge for Demos, and that comes up against the same state power, the same state power Probably about the institutional heft. Yeah, because it keeps trying to go through the same mm. route, which is. Westminster, which mm. is Parliament, and then it gets co opted and ruined, the gets sort of mm. gradually sort of crushed mm. and squeezed. Mm. What you said earlier, I think the whoever comes next, whatever comes next, it has to become a social movement and it has to move away from you know, our traditional British left conceptions of power being about parliament. And it has to move into the communities and it has to start probably slowly, unfortunately, rebuilding these working class institutions and social movements, because... They're not going to happen overnight. So what do you think is going to happen? I don't think I've got the the strength for another protracted battle in the Labour Party between Angela the what's Reagan left and of the PLP. Yeah, Phillips. yeah, exactly. Things like that. And that's what I can see sort of happening. Unless Corbyn just says, I'm going to stay on. I'm just going to keep going forever. Like or the, I wouldn't mind that. That would be pretty funny. Yeah, just every four years, Corbyn gets a little bit closer and then he has an ele- there's an election and the right winger gets like destroyed and then... Corbyn wins and runs and loses and it just happens on repeat I
1: think I think that's one of the big questions and it's the question that we'll probably be thinking about a lot over Christmas and New Year right whatever the, the results of the election are we're going to have to start thinking about what happens to the the, the, the the enthusiasm and the energy that's gone into the Corbyn project and how it gets sustained if you have a Boris Johnson government if you know you never know if uh, the results are so bad that actually uh, Labour is routed. Then you're definitely going to have to be thinking about well, what happens next. I'll give you kind of a gossipy kind of answer and then I'll give you a more serious answer. The gossipy answer goes basically along the lines of what you were hinting just a minute ago. You can see how there might be a late Labour leadership contest. In fact, what really surprises me is that if you talk to people who are out door knocking for Labour... And you just say, and, and you know, people who really, who who did the phone banking for Jeremy Corbyn in 2015. Mm. And you say, so, so what do you reckon happens next? Immediately, they're on to speculation about uh, a succession battle. These are the kind of the, the foot soldiers. And even in election periods, they're already thinking about defeat mm. and then about replacement. This is quite surprising to me. Normally, at this period in election battle, you expect... Fervent enthusiasm and a denial that anything less than, yeah. than a magnificent victory will be yours. Okay, that's one thing. The second bit of gossip is, if you ask people who are closer to um, the, the discussion in Westminster, um, there are various names which come forward. Um, Rainer. One from, one prominent Corbyn supporter said to me uh, this. That essentially, he got the impression that the people behind Jeremy Corbyn were, and I quote, just looking to chuck away Jeremy Corbyn's cadaver after the election and replace them with another cadaver that they could claim as their own. So this is the kind of prison of Zender type situation in which you get rid of some person, you get the other person and claim they're practically light for light replacement and carry on
0: as The before. old body replacement trick. Right. Jamal Khashoggi. <laughs> right.
1: Um, and you definitely hear versions of that. And I've had versions of that sketch. Do out you not him.
0: think Corbyn is his own man, though? Do you think he's actually... Do you buy into the idea that he is, like, just a front for your Andrew Murrays and things like that? Or?
1: I, I definitely think he's got more will
0: mm. than
1: a lot of the popular perceptions of him. Because it takes an immense force of will to yeah. stay in that position after everything that's been chucked at him and um, his
0: career as an MP. Exactly.
1: So I don't think that he's just a cipher for mm. things. I certainly think the way he's managed the party since becoming leader uh, has been more chairman and chief executive. He's tried to listen to a whole variety of opinions and breaks it. It's, mm. you know, not, he's not led from the front. You know, these are the criticisms of him, but just to return to the kind of the, the, the gossipy answer. You've got on the one hand an idea that you could replace Corbyn with some light for light replacement, and on the other hand, you've got uh, the idea that the right of the PLP might start p- pushing forward their own candidates, be that Jess Phillips. Uh, you get other names mentioned, which I'm um, you know you'll know them as well as I as I will, um, and there'll be some kind of showdown if Labour lose badly um, fairly soon. Um, one would imagine that Jeremy Corbyn stays uh, in the event of a defeat serious fee in a Boris Johnson majority government that Jeremy Corbyn would stay until after the passage of the Bill and in us leaving mm. uh, doing the first stage of leaving the EU that's all the parliamentary gossip right? Yep. That's a bit of Walker's crisps for, 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 for you and the listeners I think the more serious question is the one that you went to which is what happens to the social movements and the forces that kept the entire thing going for so long the reason why you have a Labour Party for all its faults and flaws is because it has huge institutional heft, because it can arrogate a certain amount of funding, because it represents a coalition of organised labour interests for all of the faults yeah. that you uh, have identified and the, the the kind of faults which have been continually yeah. come up over the decades. That's why you have a major institution. I struggle to see, given what you've said about instit- uh, institutions of labour, you know, you've you've just in the course of this podcast, you've bemoaned the loss of the workers' education associations, the, the libraries, the town halls. One could add into that the, the more interesting bits in BBC and so on. Hmm. One could also add in local newspapers. All yeah, absolutely. All, the all whole these needs are ventilating um, what uh, areas outside London, central London, have so gone. Against that background, why would you wish to hasten the decline of yet another Labour institution? That's one question I might hmm. come back to you with. But the second thing is this, time moves on, people get knackered and they get older. The people who were out at the age of 20 protesting the streets in 2010 are obviously now getting towards a stage in which they might want to be looking at settling down. Mm. They might think about partners, might think about kids, housing, those sort of things. That same energy isn't there. and it certainly wouldn't be there if you're not in government i can't see a lot of people who i see as being most worked up um keeping going in in, you know into the into the infinite future continually like trying to think about how to keep stuff going people get knackered it just happens um which i think raises a really worrying question because what happens to those organized social movements which have played an important part on the organized left i don't know i don't know i i think there's been uh in many cases uh, a fruitful relationship between labor and social movements in which some like john McDonnell, mm. jeremy corbyn who actually do understand social movements and quite interested in encouraging them have encouraged the social movements feeding into labor to push them to go further yeah uh, i've seen this myself in my own reporting. Uh, housing movements have been encouraged by john mcdonald to push the labor party to go further what happens if you have a different leadership that decides social movements are actually a bit of an inconvenience mm. and there might be one uh autopsy that you might get performed on labor parties is, is the whole problem is it went too far left too quickly didn't sort any stuff out was too unruly we need to stop all of that and be much more managerial i think that's almost certainly what's going. the argument is going to be that's going to be one of the arguments right if that argument is the case, then what happens to all of those people who are currently doing some of interesting thinking? For all the limitations, what happens to those people?
0: I mean, pass. You could see it almost a withdrawal from formal politics and, you know, like the Eric Olin Wright stuff, building real, building real, real utopias. utopias you, know, you focus on micro-local struggles, city-level stuff, and just almost abandon in which the which case, In which case,
1: Dan, what you'd be doing then is you would basically be replicating... The kind of position that left politics has found itself in in Britain and America, and parts of Europe, for, for, for a decade before Corbyn came along.
0: For me, I don't see how you can have Corbynism necessarily without Corbyn because I don't see anyone else with the will, that like iron will. Much people don't like Corbyn. One of the things I respect about him so much is that he's he's taken all this. You know, he's totally. take he's, he's just with withstood totally. a huge him. amount of abuse, mm-hmm. and it's his. It's his beliefs and his morals which have kept him going, mm. um, and I don't see anyone else who is that bloody minded in the Labour Party. Even John McDonnell, who I like a lot, is obviously a bit more flexible in his beliefs, and I could see being a bit easier to man- not manipulate, but move. He'd be more amenable to certain right. shifts. Whereas Corbyn, like if you think about his position on revoking Article Fifty, no, so, totally you know, Cor-
1: Corbyn. Corbyn is your to- is your yeah. is your archetypal zero fucks politician. absolutely, yeah. yeah.
0: And you ne- so I don't see anyone coming through who's going to replicate that. And so, I don't know. I do-
1: <laughs> but that that will be the, one of the challenges, is you can't let that energy in the drain away, it, because that really will be the end then. Oh, yeah. And so how do you keep it going?
0: Well, I mean, it's fair. Very- how do you keep
1: that going if you've got a hard right, authoritarian populist leader like Boris Johnson with a majority? That would be incredibly difficult. I think
0: also... You- Labour are heading for absolute collapse in Scotland as well. So I think the SNP will probably be looking at another, pushing another Scottish referendum. If, if you have if, a Tory if, majority if, government, God knows what. Yeah, but, um, but Labour have lost Scotland, I think, yeah. forever. So yeah. that the Scottish independence is going to suck a lot of energy from a lot of radical people yes. in Scotland. That's the as it has done, yeah. Um, I think in Wales, people are going to be. For me, I'll probably put most of my energies into the Welsh independence stuff because. Um, I don't know. It's it's depressing to just talk about, isn't it? Because I've become so upset. I mean, doing this whole, during this election and working in housing homelessness now, you get so I get am not sharp. My politics have been sharpened. I thought they were sharp anyway, but like but focus on the housing issue. Focus on very tangible things. Yeah. Let's just get in and build council houses. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes we mean Nathan will talk about this. You just feel sometimes like you see something in a speech. You see Corbyn getting like mobbed outside Question Time studios or anything. Oh, he's going to win, mm. and you get this huge, uh, like a dangerous sense, dangerous of optimism. sense of optimism, and hope. You get the like head, head rush. Head yeah, yeah. And and like oh, I think it's, it's going to get it's happen. and it's then it happens. So a different world. Is yeah. We're going to build a better world, and then you think oh, and then you back down. And but I think it's in your periods of when you're at your lowest, which is like now. Once we're thinking about what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you can keep going, and that's, that I think that's pretty significant. But I will probably put most of my energies into the the Welsh independence stuff because I can't I personally can't see how you can build uh, you can fight the British state and establishment it's just it just seems to be too powerful not that, not that there's forces that, that wouldn't be arraigned against the Welsh independence movement, but I just it's so this, it's so sophisticated and, and massive and and overwhelming and if you've got this huge left wing mass party that Corbyn has and he's just almost been gradually crushed quite easily I think or I don't even think the state have expended that much effort. No, I mean, if he was in, to get in, in, in then you would really in, start in sort, of seeing in, stuff. In, in sort of dampening it, you know, you, nothing compared to what would happen if he actually got in. I mean, this is um, the very
2: British coup, uh, yeah. you know, type but, thing, isn't it? So, I
0: don't know, it just... I don't know, what are you going <laughs> to do once the Guardian is shut down and... Uh, yeah, turn into uh, a, good,
2: uh, like a prison. Yeah, and,
0: Guardian is in very fine form at the
1: yeah. <laughs> I will remind you, Dan and Nathan. Um the thing really to battle against is the line from voltaire you know you really can't just retreat to your garden right you have to you have to remain engaged a lot of stuff that i find most interesting to return to a theme that you mentioned just a minute ago was has been looking at local economic yeah. and political alternatives social alternatives um and to some extent one of the things that i think has frustrated me a little bit and you you've probably heard some of that frustration come through in this conversation has been the lack of dealing with everyday the everyday mm. economy, which is where most of us live. Yeah. And which actually is far more interesting and troublesome to me than coming up with dreams of a Green New Deal mm. or or fully automated luxury communism. Of all these kind of <laughs> opiate dreams that people have within London, central yeah. London, um actually they they pale into nothing if you can't get a bus in Absolutely. of no, exactly. Yeah. or yeah. if you have to work in a Greg's factory yeah. and you are on. You work for a temporary agency, and your boss is an absolute bullying bastard. Yeah, right. Those are the basic issues you need to deal with. Um, the issues of an everyday economy, and thinking about what who an economy is for, what purpose it's meant to serve. Those are surely the most radical questions of all that we should be asking. And actually for all the vaunted radicalism of Labour to start where mm. we began, to, to end where we began, Labour has yet to answer that question. You go across Britain and you see and you don't have to go very far out of central London to see how pressing those concerns are. I come you mentioned Edmonton, I come from a place on the outskirts of London where those concerns of an everyday economy where on earth am i going to live that's habitable yeah. become really quite pressing that's an area of huge housing pro- crisis and huge housing costs um and to some extent just asking those basic questions what is growth for who what is the economy for what purpose do you want to steer economy an economy towards those have yet to be wrestled with so to some extent if you were to worry less about the gleaming spires of technological and, and political progress and to worry more about where people are mm. in the kind of the grinding prosaic reality of, of, of our lives, you would be doing everyone a huge favour. And that would be my great hope for any Labour Party, whether led by Corbyn or whoever else, is actually to get to grips with the issues of the everyday economy. Um, I'm really interested in the, uh, in the work on the foundational economy which uh, other guests of your podcast have talked about. I think that, again, is about talking about places and people living within places, rather than coming up with some top-down view of the national economy and the international economy and how to get your GDP figures up, all of which, I think, just feel to me like 20th century questions in an era which actually laughs at those questions because we've just gone through a lost decade of economic growth. We're We're heading into another lost decade. Why are we even that hung up on it? Let's get real. So that's where I'd concentrate my energies.
0: Interesting. I mean, if you think about, this is a, almost, might seem like a ludicrous comparison, but in the Welsh independence movement, there are a lot of people who are very engaged in the, the Kurdish oh, struggle. Yeah. And they always yeah. talk about Abdullah Rachelan and democratic confederalism. Yeah. But what I think about like, democratic confederalism is, it's almost, like it's just, it's almost revolutionary defeatism because the Kurds, well, Ochlan almost gave up on the idea of a Kurdish state because the forces arraigned against him were too great. So he was, it's very much focused on, well, what can we build uh, in the here and now uh. without a state? Um, I don't know, yeah, something on a municipal level. But then again, when everything's been cut to the bone, what, if, what, if you, what on earth are you left with when even you take over a city council and then what, you haven't got any money to do anything? But I think Corbyn, Corbynism should have been. Yeah, I agree. It should be focused on those things, and it should be. It should be a bridging project. It shouldn't be the project. Correct. It should be. You know, yeah. this is the start of. Correct. This is the absolute start of something because given it, you're going to be part of a coalition in the short term. Probably, you would. Have, the best case scenario, it would be like an SNP, Labour, Green, or whatever. They're never going to win a majority, so you get in, because we need to move out of this economic paradigm. Don't we? We need to mm. move out of this like conjuncture, or whatever. Mm. And then, and as part of that bridging project, yeah it should have been more simple and more basic, like, let's end austerity, let's build houses and sort people's lives out. Then, once we've sort of dented the, the paradigm of capitalist realism, whatever. Once we like, stop punch, smacking punch, people over the head and with punch, a shovel, and let's actually think it. about doing something
1: yeah.
2: better. Yeah, I
0: don't know. Mm. I don't know. On that positive note. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit like children. It could get a bit children of men. Quickly, couldn't it? I thought yeah. it was.
1: I thought your last one was quite Beckett. I don't know, I don't know. It's rather sweet. Oh, okay. I'll
0: <laughs> well, we'll go back to that one then. Yeah. Um, right, Aditya, thank you so much for coming on, mate. it's, Dan, it's it, been a pleasure. It's been a Nathan, real pleasure. Thank you. Um, well, thanks for having us. Thanks for hosting us. Thanks for making time for us. Thanks for um, giving us all that equipment from The Guardian. Yeah. Um, yeah, load it up, Nathan. We'll just uh, yeah. bring that. Be on eBay. Tomorrow tomorrow. Uh, yeah. um, <laughs> any shout outs, beefs, or anything similar? Any do it on any of your colleagues? Yeah. Really? No. If you want to, yeah. Apart from the stuff you told us off, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> but no, um yeah, just so is so there anyone you want to say hello to or Oh, I want, to, want to, to, to say
1: hello to other of your illustrious well, your more illustrious guests, Calvin and Mark and Tejid. I think uh hello to them. And uh, obviously hello always to my wife Katie
0: and my baby Shirabella and my mum. Yeah. Lovely wholesome shout ups. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you all for listening. Follow us on Twitter at Desolation Wales uh, subscribe to our Patreon like Aditya has uh, yes aditya, yeah. aditya subscribe by I mistake I donated fu- a <laughs> bunch of money right And yeah. I stopped it by mistake Yeah, yeah it no did. no yeah, I wanted to much, give you yeah. a one off donation right. and
1: then make clear this was not an ongoing relationship no you were locked in <laughs> yeah. locked in
0: Yeah, um, so yeah get us on Patreon um, hopefully by the time this comes out or when we'll release it before the election, and we'll yeah, have some get good news, and it. it'll be a good Christmas. Yes. Yeah, of course. I hope we get. We've got to get up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just <laughs> before edited before it too, so it sounds all like prophetic and everything. Yeah. Um, and hopefully, we'll have a good Christmas and the, the right result. Yeah. Um, Shouts to me to the DMAs for giving me free tickets to Liam Gallagher last week. One of the nicest things that's ever happened to me. Uh, um, that's sweet, isn't it? Yeah. My shout out, uh, Kurt Russell, as always. And to my auntie Dillis and um, to Dillis with yeah.
2: my shout also and yeah. shout out to it for Thank laughing you, at my yeah. mustache as soon as he saw me <laughs> took me two weeks that <laughs> did
0: <laughs> thanks for listening guys see yeah. you soon cheers bye 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 bye
2: okay even though that episode sounded a bit like unenthusiastic about Corbynism we did kind of want to put across that obviously we are supporters of Corbyn and would very much like to see a Corbyn government That isn't going to look likely. There's no way he's going to get a majority. But all we can hope for at the moment is some form of hung parliament, possibly with the SNP. Um, We're not deluded with the abilities of the Labour Party, how much of the manifesto will get through. We know obviously how shit Welsh Labour is and if any of the Corbyn policies would get reproduced um, by Welsh Labour, I, I feel is is very unlikely anyway. But I think this election does kind of give us a crossroads of a point where you know we may actually be on the tip and edge of just something truly horrific, especially for the most vulnerable people in society. This is probably the last shot we've got at social democracy in any form. And then if that was to get through, hopefully we could build better social movement which would uplift everyone and make everything fairer but um, as it stands uh, latest polls i've seen labor are polling about six percent behind uh, the tories so if you're in a marginal constituency we would think it's probably best voting for the party who can unseat the tories uh, because at this point you're just going to need everything anyway let's hope this doesn't date too badly okay peace Oh, terrific. George W. is going to need every vote he can get or they won't call it a landslide.
0: George W.? He's not a communist, is he?
2: Uh, no, he's not.
0: Wait, oh, here it is. The our candidate is Robert Parigi. What? Communist? <laughs> no! <laughs> I guess I cancel your vote out. My first deduction, and your vote means nothing. <laughs> Long live the paper's revolution!